Jason Brucklery, and this is the Brucklery Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. And a shout out to our firm, Lurie and Associates. We uh, specialize, well, I can't use the word specialize, don't you know? We focus our efforts on law that involves real estate and business, uh, particularly litigation. So if you have a dispute, uh, then we help you out. And uh, we're pretty good at that. We like the chess-like approach that we use to our litigation matters. We think it's very effective. It gets, uh, it gets uh, results. And the, the best possible solution always is one where you can resolve the dispute super duper early. And uh, we just had one, actually. It was really awesome. It was a very big real estate litigation dispute. And we basically showed the cards. We were able to kind of pull everything out. And there was a little bit of a bluff going on. But at the end of the day, uh, clients were out of the case uh, after only a couple of weeks. And they got to recoup every single dime of their attorney's fees. And uh, we were good to go. So they're thrilled. I'm thrilled. And it's just a, a really nice victory. Anyway, uh, victory is not on the mind of one President Obama, unfortunately. And how do you like that for a segue? Oh, I thought you were going to say he uses the checkers approach. No, no, that's, uh, he doesn't even play checkers, my friend. <laughs> no, no. No, no, there's no, there's no checkers involved here. That would, that would be quite a compliment. There's no board. No I, I, would, I would just say, because well, that would presume, because even checkers are a strategy. It's not as hard a strategy. Right? I mean, it's kind of like uh, playing uh, what's with rock, paper, scissors, right? And if your opponent is constantly doing rock, you can kind of strategize that, right? But it's not a complex game, right? So same sort of thing. Or, or for that matter, tic-tac-toe. You know, you, 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 you know, there's strategy involved in that too, right? So chess has its own version of stra- strategy, and, and checkers has a much weaker version. So, uh, so to say that he's actually playing checkers uh, and the strategy of checkers, it's, it's giving him the benefit of the doubt that there is a strategy there. And it's insulting checkers. <laughs> That's right. So, but remember a long time ago, I guess now it's about three weeks ago from the date of this podcast, that uh, he said, uh, look, we have no strategy yet. Uh, it must have been in response to a question and answer period. That, it must be great to be a reporter who asked the, the question that triggered that comment. You know, I was the one who, who asked the question about the strategy, and, and it kind of forced a whole – it forced his hand on so many other ways. Yeah, too bad my network didn't air it. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it was Jonathan Carl from ABC. Oh. Well, anyway, uh, let, let's get to the meat of this. The, the uh, I have no strategy comment was so embarrassing that he felt his, his hand was forced basically to explain himself and more importantly to actually show that he had a strategy because it was ridiculous to say that you have no strategy yet when you're dealing with this monstrous entity known as ISIS. And it's been uh, just taking over whole swaths of land in Iraq and Syria and otherwise and now creeping in even into Iran a little bit and, um, and not have a strategy to deal with it. This is bad stuff especially with the viciousness that we're seeing. So he goes on the air, I guess it was last Wednesday. Uh, that's a little less than a week ago. And he says, um, he, he tries to show that he has a strategy. And here's the takeaway. You're going to hear some things that you've already heard on the news uh, and the analysis of it. And then you're going to hear something from me that I can tell you you could take to the bank. I... As a lawyer in litigation, I suss out people all the time. I can tell whether they're lying to me. I can tell 
whether they're being cagey with me, I can tell whether they're about to give me something juicy in a deposition, for example. I, there's a lot of things I can pick up. Okay, it's not just about being a lawyer. It's about I just have a good sense of about people. Okay, it's a talent I have, and I'm listening to this man, President Obama, look at me in the eyes, so to speak, from his uh, podium, and tell me the things he's telling me. And as he's listing, and we'll go into the details later on, but as he's listing the various elements that he's going to use for the strategy, I think there was a four-point uh, strategy, two of which mean nothing, okay? Uh, but four-point strategy. As I'm thinking, I, I say, y- you actually have no strategy at all. You, you still have no plan. There's still no strategy here. You, you're just basically saying, you want a strategy? Sure. I'm going to do stuff. Right? That's, that's all you're saying. <clears throat> I'm going to do stuff. He has not planned anything. He talks about a coalition. There's no coalition. There was no coalition, at least at the time that he was speaking. He just invented it right out of his you-know-what. Coalition. Uh, I'm going to have a coalition, and they're all going to do the things that we want them to do, and we're going to give them air power, and they're going to they're gonna do the, the, the dirty work on the ground for us. And... And, they don't, and the coalition, don't, the countries who, who form the coalition don't even know who they are at this point, right? And it turns out, and he even made reference to it during the speech, that John Kerry is running around all over Europe trying to find these, these coalition partners. And by the way, if they say yes, he's telling them, and that means, by the way, you're going to throw a lot of them into the ground and uh, the, a lot of them are going to die. You're cool with that? Good. Thanks so much. No. There's no way they're going to agree to be ground forces, right? What, would you? Let's say you're you the president. You mean pre- an Operation Human Shield America? Yeah, that's what it is, Operation Human Shield. So there's only, there's only one way that that can work, and I'll tell that in a moment. But basically you're saying, hey, let, let's just pick a country at random. Um, let's say um, Holland. Okay, we want Holland to participate in this coalition, and they should do the ground forces and such. And, and they'll say... Uh, and no way. Why, we sh- why should we do that? <laughs> right? In their Dutch accent. I, I can never get a Dutch accent, right? You can't do a freaky-deaky Dutch accent? No. Oh, very good. Ooh, yeah, with my tulips. <laughs> my bicycle. All right. No, it, no uh, offense to all our good Dutch listeners out there. But uh, they actually speak very well in English. Their, their master of English is better than any other European country. But we digress. So you, you ask the, the, the leader of Holland to say, okay, you want, let me get this straight. Mr. Obama, you, or Mr. Kerry, you want me to devote how many men? 5,000? 7,000? 10,000 men? 250,000 fi- men. <laughs> well, it's country by country, right? Right. So you want me to devote 7,000, 10,000 men, and they're going to be, uh, these are the beheading guys, right? That, that's who you're talking about? Yes. Is that a, is that a problem? <laughs> let me do Kerry. Yes. They're the beheading guys. Right. But let, let, let me go through this. Sure. It's, um, you want me to do this? These are the beheading guys. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the ones you see on TV. <laughs> really? Okay. And I would do this because, oh, because it's in your best interest. Uh, it's good for the West, and uh, we uh, have always been uh, fighting for you, and it's time for you to fight for us and the rest of the Western world, right? Yeah. Uh, I know that sounds like a mixture of Obama and Walter Cronkite, but. <laughs> <That's what laughs> but uh, you just got to bear with me on this one. <laughs> anyway, so, but this is what, this is, this is going to be his rationale, right? So 
then they'll say, uh, that's not good enough for me. I'm sorry, dude. You, that, I, I don't understand that logic, and I'm not fighting. I'll, I'll give you humanitarian aid. I might even give you a little bit of money. Uh, you know, we have some tanks in the backyard over here. We can, we can, you know, sacrifice those. But I ain't going to send my troops in there. And how do I explain that to my, my people when, when you are not sending your troops in? How do I explain that, President Obama? And the only answer to that is money. You do this for us, we give you a lot of money or some sort of other sweetheart deal. But it won't be because it's in our best interest, our mutual best interest. He won't be able to make that argument. So any country that you see that's going to be participating in this coalition, on the ground no less, they've been promised a lot of money or some sort of sweetheart deal that uh, goes far beyond simply doing it because it's a good moral thing to do. Because anyone will say, why aren't you doing it? President Obama, why aren't you sending your American forces in? And that'll, that'll apply whether it's Holland or Albania or Latvia or any other country. They're, they're not going to do it. And, and, and it's hubris to think that, is that the right, I think I'm using it correctly. It's hubris to think that somehow everyone will galvanize around Obama's vision of a coalition and they're going to magically make this happen. And how quickly is this going to happen? Where, where is that list? It's been five you know, it's been more than five days now. No, five days. It's been five days. Where is the list of the coalition? Yeah, this is a guy who won the Nobel Peace Prize. People aren't just jumping. Yeah, oh, you I get to be. I want to be a part of your coalition. Right. Ask me. Ask me. Where are those guys? Well, so what I'm saying is, I don't think there's any plan there. There's no there there as there's it's, as was once famously said. Where's the beef? <laughs> right, there's, that one. There's nothing. Yeah. And and here's my concern. Um, he goes on the air, saying he has a plan. There is no plan. My friends, there is no plan. And I'm telling you this as somebody who has been watching people, studying people, because if there were a coalition, he would have announced every single member of that coalition. And given the accounting. Yeah. Remember with George Bush, it was, don't forget Poland. Poland's giving us 40 troops. See? It's a coalition. Right. He, he, he would announce the, the nation and the number. Right. And, and even if he didn't announce the, the number, he would still say the nation, and here's what their role is going to be. They're going to provide special ops. They're going to provide air power. They're going to provide uh, humanitarian aid. They're going to provide supply lines. Uh, so to, to kind of paint this picture. But he doesn't do anything of the sort. And he expects us to think, well, there's a strategy. You know, it's, it's a little bit like when you ask your, your child, um, not whether he did the homework, but what's your... What's your plan to do your homework? What, what things are you planning to do? How are you going to do this? And, and he says to you, well, I, I'm, I'm going to pull out some books and I'm going, to, I'm going to take out pencil and I'm going to do the homework. I said, well, that, that's not what I'm asking you. How are you going to factor in the time? And uh, specifically, what subjects are you planning to do? And can you do this? And, and the kid just tells you, well, I'm going to do it somehow. It's going to work out somehow. It's not going to work out somehow. It, it doesn't. It, strategies don't develop themselves. It never has happened ever. And you know, I'm not asking him for pinpoint precision. And, and make no mistake, my my friends listening, I'm going to use his phrase: "Make no mistake," because that that phrase is going to come out in another part of this podcast. Make no mistake. Um, all he had to do was simply to say, "We have coalition." We're going to destroy these mother effers. I'm bringing all of our Navy and all of our forces to bear, and we will do whatever it takes to get there. Is that good enough for you, 
America because we're going to do this thing and we're going to wipe them out at any cost. That's what he should have said. Then you've, you've got the, the mojo, the, the oomph, the power, and the sense of, okay, this country is ready. That would cause ISIS to quake in its boots, as it were. But here's what ISIS thought when they heard his speech. All right. Right? And they were high-fiving each other because Obama said two things that were so powerful to their advantage. The first one is when he said, ISIS is not Islamic. Okay? He, he was clearly making it clear that, well, it's clear. He was, he was making it clear that he wanted to separate out the issue of Islam and extremism and all that stuff, and that he wanted to treat this like a criminal affair. Okay? This is not a war. So I would be thrilled with that if I were any, any leader in ISIS. It's fantastic. Great. We can just completely invade uh, this and that country and take over other areas with impunity. That's, that's the takeaway from there. And then, as if that's not good enough, then they get to hear, they get to hear the great mother load expression, which is, make no mistake, there's that expression, make no mistake, we will not be dragged into another ground war in Iraq. I believe that's a quote. Make no mistake, we will not be dragged into another ground war in Iraq. That phrase so clearly indicates what he won't do. And here's what you never do in chess. You never do this in war. You never do this in poker. You never do this in in, in litigation, you never telegraph what you won't do. You always say, or at least make them think, that everything is on the table. Even nuclear war. You always want to throw that in there as a possibility. Now, of course, you may not want to use it. Um, it is truly a last resort. But you don't take anything off the table. We're going we're gonna to carpet bomb you. We're going to drop napalm on you. They don't know what's going to hit them. That's what you want them to think. Fear is part of your weapon, your weaponry against these, these monsters called ISIS. But to tell them, point blank, we will not have any soldiers on the ground there, you couldn't have made their day any better. It, it could have only emboldened them, period. Like going into a store where they have one of those signs that says, sale, everything, 80% off. And then in the tiny type, it says, except major brands like, and then it's a list of every brand of an item you'd possibly want in small type. Well, uh, yeah. But it's like that, meaning all of those brand items, those manufacturers, the things you want, are all the techniques of war that are options, anything that range from a pop yeah. gun up to a nuclear bomb. Right. And he has essentially taken them all off the table. Yeah, no, your point is a good point, but it's a different point. He simply has said... Um, here are all the things that we'll do, and here are the things we won't do. And, it, and like you said, it's a sale, and there's so many exceptions that, as we say, the exceptions swallow the rule, right? right? Um, and that's, that's not a, a good way to go. And you'll never win that way. You can't possibly. You can, you, when, when everything is excluded, then you kind of figure out what is included. You, you eventually have to say, okay, so in summary, this is what we, we, we will offer you. And then it ends up being nothing. So um, it's like a, it's, 
It's like a timeshare situation. You know, you want to buy the timeshare. Everything is, and you get a free trip, and you get to stay. In, and then you realize, well, wait a minute. Almost all my time will be consumed by uh, a, a sales pitch where I'll feel guilty by not buying something at the end of the day. So, you know, it's hardly a trip, right? It's hardly a vacation if that's the case. And you're not allowed to go on weekends, holidays, Fridays, that's right. Mondays. <laughs> there are too many exceptions. Okay. But, but that's, it's, a, it's, it's a cute point. It's an interesting point. But the concern that I have, it's, it's telegraphing to ISIS what you won't do. Yeah. And, and if by, by telegraphing to them what you will not do, you are seriously compromising the war effort. And he doesn't even call it a war. And that's, that's a big problem we have. You need to call it for what it is. It's going to be a war. They see it as a war. You need to see it as a war, too. Yeah, and the, there are two, three phrases Obama uses. Mm-hmm. Two are of what I call the Dr. Seuss pantheon. Uh, these three phrases are, make no mistake, like that one. Um, let me be perfectly clear, which is pure Obama, not Dr. Seuss. And then the third one is, have no fear. Obama and Dr. Seuss use, use that one. The relevance of this thing, you're giving me that look like, what are you talking about, Ari? Whenever the cat in the hat or any other Dr. Seuss character says, have no fear or uh, make no mistake, that character is always lying. Yeah, that's true. Okay, it's, it, Mayhem is about to take place. <laughs> right? And it's the same right. with Obama. As soon as he says, make no mistake, have no fear, or let me be perfectly clear, on the clear, he's going to be completely opaque. Right. And the other two... Chaos is about to. That's right. To, yeah. It's like it's like when all those people say, uh, "Can I, let me be frank or let me be honest? Let me be honest with you." You know, the next thing out of their mouth is going to be a lie. Yes. Okay. So there's no reason for them to say it. It, it just, it, or frankly, this is what I think. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's definitely guilty of that, and it might be his version of the the word um, right? But, uh, but then let's let's kind of talk a little bit about the other things that he said. He said, uh, among many other things. Some bizarre statements. First, uh, he talked about um, how it's the primary core of his presidency to protect Americans who are being harmed by bad guys. Okay, really? You mean like Benghazi? That that that's a good example of how you're always protecting the Americans, right? So so I mean, it, it, it was so palpable to to hear him speak like this because when he said that, it's the core of my presidency. Your mind races right away to Benghazi, right? You, your mind races all, to all the men that died, well, my, all the men that died and were maimed in Iraq and are and are doing so in in Afghanistan as well, and and the hostages who were who were taken and beheaded recently. Your mind races to that, and you, you're thinking, really, how can you say that? And I'm beginning to think that Obama simply, he 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 really thinks that you will believe whatever he tells you. That that, that here are his words. And they must be true. And that he thinks he can not only fool his own people, his, his fellow liberals, but that he can fool we conservatives, us conservatives, I should say. It's just incredible that he thinks that he can do that. Well, he thinks we're such stupid mongoloids. What we think doesn't matter. He has that much contempt for us. That's that that, that could that. be that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the, he's dismissing us as this bizarre, small, little renegade group. Yeah, they exist. Yeah, unevolved uh, subhumans right. who haven't moved to New York City and gotten a degree in. Right. Never mind that we're approximately 50% of the population. Never mind that. Yeah. Two, uh, there's, and here's the other area that I want to talk about, which is remember how we talked about the great successes that uh, they had achieved and they are going to achieve in a similar way with the. the uh, uh, attacking ISIS. He doesn't want to call it a war. 
And so what are his examples? You and I are waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. <laughs> he talks about, uh, A, how he handled Russia, B, how he handled Syria, uh, uh, C, sorry, A, B, Libya. Uh, and uh, then, did he talk about Libya? I don't think he talked about yeah, Libya per did. se. Okay. He has been. It's okay. Been, it's been discussed. But, but, yeah. Okay, well, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about that ourselves. Then he talks about... Um, uh, uh, Somalia and Yemen Somalia as, ex- and Yemen, as yes. successes, and then the the handling of the Ebola virus, and then of course uh, how he how he encourages Muslim communities to fight terrorism. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, and uh, I'm sure he wished he could mention Bo Bergdahl, but he didn't. <laughs> um, but but those are the four or five things that he mentioned as successes, and I'm thinking to myself, really? It, it, I mean, look. Focus on you, you can you can still claim great credit if you want to. I mean, we, I, I just I dismiss it, but you, we can't deny that you were the president at the time who gave the order to kill Bin Laden. Okay, that you have, my friend. You can focus on that, and you can take credit for that if you want. You know, you and I think that you know it's it's a little bit uh, too much credit, perhaps, but it's true. He was the president who gave the order to kill Bin Laden. Good for him. That's all he's got. That's it. There's virtually nothing else he's done that's a success. And to, to, to cite these examples that we just mentioned, really? I mean, it's like me going in, into court and, and giving examples of how dishonest the other, other side was by, by revealing examples of how dishonest I was. What, what are you doing? I mean, Russia, are you serious? You call Russia and, and the way you handled Ukraine and, and what happened and, and the continuing occupation of Georgia and, and the annexation of Crimea, you think this, this is a, a, a success? But where? What kind of collaboration are you engaged in? If that's success, who needs failure? Yeah. Well, but here's what they will say. They'll say, what are you talking about? We're talking about the sanctions and we think that's having an effect. Really? Tell me what the effect is, because it doesn't seem to be stopping Mr. Mr. Putin. So, so success in Russia, please. Next, Yemen and, and Somalia, what, please tell me what. Where is the success there? Uh, are we? Uh, did we somehow cripple the the whole terrorist network out of that? Of course not. It's a disaster. That's what's happening there. And then the the, the next one, I think. Uh, well, we talked about Libya, of course, where we led from behind there. And now we have an utter disaster, and they've taken over the airport in Tripoli, and it's, it's quite a mess. So, yes, Gaddafi is dead, but look, look what we have in its place. Um, and then uh, what, was, what was the other thing that we just talked about, about his success, so, so-called? Um, oh, yeah, Ebola, the, the Ebola virus. Okay, he's taking credit for that. What did, was he the one, was his administration the one who found a cure for Ebola virus? What, what, what happened there? Please, I mean, and even if you you can say, look, we wanted to make sure to isolate this person and put him in quarantine. Okay, fine. If that's your celebration of your administration, that we we put a person in quarantine for Ebola virus, you want to take that little credit? Fine. That's nothing, though. Nothing. And then uh, how he helps the the Muslim communities to fight terrorism or to deal with intolerance, something like that. It was such a vague phrase. I, I didn't even know what he wanted from me in, in that way. Um, and, and, then, and then how he handled uh, Iraq. Now, oh, Syria was the, the other one. How he, how he handled Syria. His faint pink line. Yeah, the, 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 the red line that he created. 
And where was the success in that, sir? Oh, you stopped Assad from um, doing chemical weapons for the moment. And you basically sent him the signal that he could do just about anything else. And then, of course, ISIS is doing far worse vicious things than ever. As we talked about uh, a few podcasts ago, we talked about how uh, the, the, the red line in Syria, the demand for the red line in Syria, uh, were the good old days. <laughs> I mean, the, Assad's got nothing on these ISIS mother efforts. These guys are pure, unadulterated evil. So how can you possibly consider what you did with Syria to be a success? Where you asked for strikes against Syria, nothing happened. You, you threatened sanctions. You, you got some sort of sweetheart deal with Assad, but Assad clearly is not obeying. He'll do precisely what he wants. He always has done it. So please tell me the great victory that we achieved in, in Syria, where I think 200,000 people have died since the conflict has, has begun in Syria, and, and it's growing, of course. And then ISIS is now in the, the equation. And, and part of his four-step plan, which we'll talk about in a moment, is that, that we're going to be arming the Syrian opposition. This, is, this opposition is ISIS. You, you, you think that they're going to somehow conveniently identify that these are the good guys who want freedom, and those are the bad guys who don't want freedom, and, and then, of course, the third party, which is Assad's army himself? Please. I mean, you don't think this is going to get into the wrong hands? Did you hear the news today I think I sent you? About what? ISIS and the Syrian opposition have formally signed a truce. Ah, okay. There's your answer. I'm not surprised. Yeah, so, yeah didn't see that one coming. Yeah, no, it's, it's too easy. Um, and I don't, I don't blame the Syrian opposition for, for signing a truce with these ISIS uh, monsters. That's what, wouldn't you? I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so suddenly now they're going to arm the Syrian opposition that's engaged in a truce with ISIS. So that, that major part of it has kind of flown by the wayside. And uh, the, now the other three things that he said, of course, is air power. With the coalition of uh, other countries on the ground, that we are going to arm the um, the Syrian opposition, and then finally that we're going to give humanitarian aid. Have I missed anything? I think those are the four points, right? Yeah, it, and also now uh, ISIS has announced announced. You know how you said you never take things off the table, but you right. can keep things on, or you can te- telegraph what you're going to do if you have the initiative. ISIS has said, we're now going to use the Yazidi survivor uh, hostages as human shields. Yeah, why not? Well, here's, I'll tell you who has not taken anything off the table. ISIS. ISIS has not said one bit about what they will or won't do. And, and that's one of their great weapons, that the sheer terror of not knowing what these monsters will do. They are capable of anything. And um, we need to be able to say will do anything as well. And I'm not talking about butchering people and, and you know, amputating their legs just for fun. I'm talking about using weapons that will just decimate, destroy, annihilate every one of these mother bastards off the, the face yeah, of the shock earth. Shock and awe, then. Shock and awe. But no, we won't use shock and awe. I'd, I'd be so thrilled. I would say our day has come. The caliphate is coming. Don't you worry about nothing at this point. That's what's going to happen. So I'm, I'm worried about this only because uh, 
When you don't have a strategy, when you telegraph what the president has telegraphed about what he won't do, it, it emboldens the enemy, it encourages, it intimidates our own allies, and it prolongs any conflict that we're inevitably going to be having, and, and for that matter, war that we're inevitably going to be having. Other than that, it was a great idea. Would you agree that after saying, uh, and that's a great point you just yeah. made, I mean, brilliant, yeah. but would you agree that after saying you know, the blunder, we have no strategy, that it's one of those where if you're smart, and he um, does have my words trailed off there, you just drop the shovel and you stop digging. And what you don't do is go on a national televised high-stakes speech and prove to the enemy you really don't have a strategy like he did. Right, right. That's exactly right. I, I mean, he, what he said reminds me a little uh, of a... It was, it was in a TV show or something, and it was some guy made some terrible misogynist comment. It was off-the-cuff sort of comment, and he said, you know, ladies, um, they... They should be in, in the kitchen all the time, you know, and, and whatever. Something like misogynist like that. And they should know their place. And then, of course, it gets a lot of pushback on that. And how can he say this? And there's all sorts of scandal associated with this. And then he quickly says, let me make myself clear about this. I'm so sorry about what I said. All I meant is that women are just inferior. And they need to be in the kitchen doing what women are so good at. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that let us men do the real things, right? That's and, and then of course he's he's dug himself deeper, right? And he really thinks he really thinks that he's clarified, and, and he, he nods his head like as if like now problem has been solved. Yeah, let's all move on now. <laughs> right, or like Homer said once in, in uh, you know he says in passing in a news conference because so let so to finally put away all the issues, I thought. The cop was a prostitute. Okay, thank you. <laughs> right, but anyway, that that's very similar to what Obama did with the the first speech, which is the off the cuff comment, and then he tries to clarify it, making it only worse. And uh, by saying, when I, on my Sunday show, I said, you know, it reminded me of the movie I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then that was the first speech, and then the second speech was. The sequel to that movie, which was, I still know what you did last summer. So to make it analogous perfectly, I don't have a strategy yet. The second is, I still don't have a strategy yet, <laughs> right? So that's what it was. He still doesn't have that strategy. Now, you can, think to, you can say to me, Barack, these are word choices. This whole thing about it, ISIS not being Islamic, this whole thing about make, me, make myself perfectly clear, uh, we won't be dragged into a war, a ground war with Iraq. You know, these are just, you know, phrases. Maybe they were poorly phrased and so on, right? Here's the problem. That second speech was well thought out, well planned. It was vetted among his own people. And there was not a single off-the-cuff comment or word said during that speech. So he knew the impact of every one of these words that he said. You can almost forgive him the first one because it was during the question and answer period. Uh, you know, you and I think, you know, in vino veritas, there, this is, this is the, he, was, he blurted out the truth that when he said he had no strategy. But the second time when he was speaking about it and used those phrases, ISIS is not Islamic, uh, make no mistake, we won't be dragged into another ground war. That was very well calculated. 
Yeah, and I'll even give him more credit than I normally do for the first incident, because if you remember, this was where he came back from vacation yeah. before going back to vacation. I remember, yeah. And so he obviously had golf on his mind, and he had the leisure suit, and he's obviously not at his best, and, you know, he's been on the Air Force One from Massachusetts back to D.C., and, you know, he's probably a little lightheaded and needs a beverage. So, look, I'll cut the dude some slack for that one time, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not one to do that very often. You're right. You're uh, right. But this time, whoa. What's, what's your excuse now? Yeah, and then the most amazing thing, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. It's so fascinating to me. Liberals in Vietnam, they love to cite the buildup to Vietnam as basically going through the stations of the cross to bring about the Antichrist. Right, to bring about the end of the world and sealing the the seven seals or something. It's always well, we brought the advisors there, and then the first ground troops, and we didn't want to be involved. But that Johnson, he screwed up, right? The the if you will, in finger quote, strategy that Obama outlined is exactly what they did that got us into the quagmire of Vietnam. Right, a few airstrikes, a few advisors, no boots on the ground. Don't worry, Corporal, it's a police action, not a war. I understand. Well, he's he's. Look, he's created the very problem that uh, he claims to to now um, not have uh, not have started and to not want to respond to. Um, th- this nowhere in the speech, of course, and I don't blame him for not bringing it up, was the notion that he had created the very situation, the ISIS situation, that uh, that he's now seeking to to undo. Some people call that irony, right? But as we often call, say, on this show. And the Democratic Party is the party of irony. That's all they give us is irony. Everything they plan, every single policy that they advance, achieves exactly the opposite of what they originally intend. As good intentions, as good intentioned as it may be, it in fact always backfires. Not sometimes, always. Okay, whether that's affirmative action, minimum wage, high taxes, uh, high regulations, you name it, it just bounces back right on the on the very people that it's supposed to help. Yeah, then when it comes to foreign policy and they do it, people die. That's what gets that's scary. That's right. No, lost in all this is the suffering of the widow of the Iraqi veteran, the, the, the veteran who fought in, in, in Iraq. And won the war for us. And won the war for us. Lost in all this is her suffering. Here's her husband died for uh, freedom in Iraq, all for it to be squandered by one President Barack Obama. Now, let me anticipate the argument that uh, a liberal will, will say upon listening to this. He'll say, look, you know, this, this war was wrong in the first place. We simply undid this war that should never have been pursued in the first place. No, sir, that's not the response. Every president inherits the laws and policies and treaties of the previous presidents. They don't get to say, well, I don't feel like it anymore. No more than a conservative president can go into office and say, look, I don't like affirmative action, I don't like abortion, I don't like minimum wage, I'm issuing an executive order, completely undoing all those things. Yeah, imagine if they did that for Social Security. No more Social Security. Yeah, we, we, we don't like any of those things. And then it just goes every four years or every eight years, as the case may be, we just keep on flip-flopping back and forth, back and forth. And, and for that matter, why not do that with the Supreme Court, right? I mean, why not constantly just change the laws? Because, you know, we, well, we recognize that we decide that the law that we previously passed during the 
Reagan years, well, we don't like that anymore because we're liberal, you know. So no, no stare decisis anymore, no precedent setting anymore. But this president seems to think that all that matters is what he feels is right, not recognizing what, what all the sacrifice and all the policies and agendas of the prior presidents. So the answer was very simple here. Um, when it came to Iraq, at least, and we can at least learn a lesson, that's the opportunity for Obama. But when it came to Iraq, you don't just pull out everyone. You don't have to like the war in Iraq, but it was a fact, a fact on the ground. When you became president, Mr. Obama, it, there was a war going on, and you needed to finish it, and, and finish it, but with, with not only with honor, but responsibly, you needed to leave at least 10,000 men there, probably more, but certainly more than zero. How about that? How about that for a starter? Choose a number above zero, okay? And then let's see where that takes us. Yeah, what would have happened if, in the same analogy, either Eisenhower or Kennedy said, this was Truman and Roosevelt's war. We're pulling all of our, our station troops out of Germany and Italy and all of Europe. I know Europe's not rebuilt, but that's not our responsibility. Right, right. And what, what's the committed yeah. blood and treasure. We're coming home. Right. And what signal and opportunity does that send to the enemy? Uh, that all they have to do is either, A, wait it out for the next president and follow the politics of America, uh, because then he'll just flip it around and uh, completely undo, no counties sort of thing. Or, worse yet, that they will try to infiltrate the election and try to get a new president on board so that it can completely change the dynamics of the war effort. No, you've got to create consistency. As a president, you have the responsibility to understand there will be things from the past that you don't like and things uh, going forward that, you do, that you're okay with. Even, even President Bush, who is uh, you know, avidly against abortion, did not for a moment think that he had the, the, the right to somehow stop all abortions, right? It would never come to his mind. He doesn't like it, but he's going he's gonna to have to deal with it. Now, does that mean that he wants to amplify abortion rights? Of course not. But he still has to accept the law of the land as it is, as much as he doesn't yeah. like it. Stem cell research and so forth. He even made you know, you know, great strides on that and compromises too. But uh, this president seems to think completely otherwise. Now, I said before... There's an opportunity for Obama to learn his lesson, right? And that opportunity is in a place called Afghanistan. I believe that the drawdown of forces is, is uh, scheduled. I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying this. Scheduled for the end of uh, 2015? I think so, yes. All right. So sometime in 2015, we'll say. I don't know the exact date. And uh, you would think that maybe he would revisit that decision, right? Just in case. Because could it be that something very similar to what happened with ISIS could happen? I, I'm wondering. Oh, I I'm, think so. I'm, Never. You know what? It's an isolated incident, this ISIS thing in Iraq. It would never happen in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a real Islamic country. That's right. And it's a, a religion of peace. That's right. And it's completely different in every way. For example, uh, Iraq it was an Islamic country. And uh, Afghanistan is an Islamic country. So therefore, the, you, see, you can see how different they are that way. Yeah. I, Iraq had terrorist uh, inbreeding and, and a whole sorts of horrific uh, issues. And Afghanistan, by contrast, had uh, terror inbreeding and all sorts of horrific uh, issues involved. Uh, let's see other differences that we have. <laughs> well, Iraq had al-Qaeda in Iraq, 
Right. Afghanistan did not have Al Qaeda in Iraq, so that's a huge difference. Uh, that's true, Al Qaeda in, in Afghanistan instead. So that you know, the, the words matter, I guess. Yeah. 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 And, and Iraq did not have a Taliban. And right. That means students. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there you go. Of course, uh, the, the comparisons are, are just so obviously similar. We're going to have it's brain dead to go through the it's, exercises. It's, brain dead. it's so obvious. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but you but know, it's it, good radio, so right. we can keep doing this for another hour and a half. <laughs> that the similarities are going to be identical. You you just can't leave a place like Afghanistan, and and hope that everything is going to work out fine. What what do you? I mean, they the liberals mocked us when they said, you know, what do you think that you can somehow create a Jeffersonian democracy in in Iraq or or, or Afghanistan? And of course, you can't create a Jeffersonian democracy, but something. But but still, they 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 mocked us. They said it was impossible. So, so to use their own argument, they should understand that by pulling out of Iraq, that there's no way that there's going to be a democracy left. It's it can only be mayhem and destruction. Why? Because there's going to be a complete vacuum, a power vacuum that somebody's going to fill. It's as simple as that. So they they, they know what they're going to be doing. It's the same exact thing as what happened in, in South Vietnam, an area that was formerly known as South Vietnam, when the Democrats completely decided to defund the South Vietnamese army. And they, they knew. They knew what would happen. They had to have known what would happen. Did they, you know, not one of them said, well, we will, I'm sure the South Vietnamese army will handle it just fine. It's time for them to handle themselves and... They just couldn't care less. They'll find another patron. You know, France used to be there. France will pay the bill. Right. And let's say they did believe it. I mean, I'm sure there were a couple of congressmen who believed that South Vietnam would be able to handle its own. Okay. They shouldn't have thought that. It was obvious. You know, and we had an obligation under the peace treaty to fund the South Vietnamese army, to help out money-wise, munitions and all that good stuff. And we didn't do it. And then surprise, surprise, you know, they just took over all of South Vietnam. And now we have Vietnam as this this moniker of failure. It's a humiliation. Yeah. And then we, of course, had the worst thing of all in that region, which was the killing fields of Cambodia. Yeah. Which oh. is a an event of human suffering that is just inconceivable, inconceivable. for our minds. But we get, a, we get little flashes of the visions now with what we're seeing ISIS do. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. And, demo, it, you know, I said to everyone who'd listen, and it wasn't many people in these regions that we live when Obama was getting elected. I said, it's the people around the world who you claim to want to protect who are going to suffer the worst. That's irony. Yeah. Right? That's what uh, we've just talked about. And, and at this point, I wonder if our listeners, as we wrap up the show, I wonder if they, if they are starting to wonder. Did they listen to that Wednesday show, the Wednesday uh, speech, and and ask themselves, "Wow, this doesn't feel right. There's something missing here. I, does our president really have a plan?" And and for those of you who feel that he has a plan, please tell me. I welcome you to write at info at lurie-law.com. Let me know. I don't mean to. I mean, to some extent, it is a challenge, but I really want to understand your argument. And it's not good enough, my friends, to say, uh, you know, there are special ops going on. You and I don't know about that, Mr. Lurie, and uh, there's, there's stuff that he can't reveal. And I'm sure that's true. But I do know one thing about this president and that he has failed in virtually everything that he's ever tried. 
as president, domestically and internationally. I don't need what he, what he considers to be a success. I need a completely different president at this point. So forgive me when I balk at your suggestion that somehow he's, he's got this going, that he's, that he's got this under wraps. Everything's going to be just fine. I just don't think so. I don't think so. My friends, this is Baruch Lurie. This has been the Baruch Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. Do you